Hey, everybody, check out Pelotero Pickle episode 74. We got a special guest in the house, former teammate, Toronto Blue Jay and New York Met catcher Josh Tolley. He talks a little bit about catching the knuckleball and being a member of the 2015 Toronto Blue Jays team and getting to be my teammate. Pelotero Pickle, episode 74. Welcome to the show, everyone. We have a special guest. Uh, my co-host is back again. I have him for uh, two weeks, but I'm taking over the uh, introductions. Bobby Tewksbury here with me. And special guest, former teammate, JT Dollar Dollar Bills, JT Scribbles, J Tizzle, my sizzle for nizzle, Josh Tully. What is up, fellas? Guys, thanks for having me on the show. Hey, I feel really bad for the editor of this show. I feel really bad. Three takes to get the intro, CC. Let's go. No, I just took over. I wanted to drop all the nicknames that I've heard you called. <laughs> so I knew it was better than what I would have done. That was uh, high, way okay. higher energy. My my uh, monotone. Welcome, <laughs> Pelotero Pickle episodes. Yeah, that was good. That was good. High energy. I like that. The funny thing is, is Josh had bats. That said JT dollar bill on them. Yeah. Did you really? You actually, that yeah. was your. I believe I did. What's the, what's the process for that? Um, is it, you just like fill out paperwork and well, you submit it and you're like, oh yeah, just put whatever I want on there. Yeah. So how, how this one worked was uh, Stevie Cohen who uh, shout out to Stevie Cohen. He was the Rawlings bat guy. Now he's like a big high VP there now, but he was the bat guy when Rawlings was trying to get their bats back into market. So, of course, they come after the big hitters like myself. <laughs> and, he says, uh, and he says, what do you want on your bat? And I told him, I said, just block lettering Josh Tolley. Well, he's heard people call me JT Money and all of that. So he, he sends me a, a dozen bats that say JT with $2 signs on them. Best part of it, I don't think I used one of them in a game. If I did, they didn't have any hits in them. <laughs> So I still got a dozen in my garage. Dude, you have you're like the most epic teammate of all time, just in so many more ways than one. I don't think people can possibly understand how much I love not only being your teammate, but your friend now. I think we're friends. I'm I'm I put like is it weird that I say that openly and I'm not sure how other people are going to respond to that word? All right, we'll, we'll we'll just we'll get to the line here. Like, of course we're friends, dude. Why? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, come on, you don't have to ask yourself that. I, it's it's funny. I I catch myself, and I'm like always the one that does it. I'm like, oh yeah, he's my friend, and then I have to think to myself, what does that person really think? <laughs> they're, they're sitting there going, man, Calavello, yeah, it's just he he harasses me, so that's why we answer the phone. But not my friend. But uh, I guess we'll put it out there. You know. Well, you just and Bobby, and I'm sure Bobby knows this, right? Like you just got when CC comes up on the ringer, it's like, okay, what do I have in 30 minutes? All right, what do I have in 45 minutes? All right, I got about an hour and 10 minutes today. I love it though. That's 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 why we're friends. We yeah. can both talk a glass eye to sleep. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I wanna I wanna intro you and uh, give you all your due justice, uh, Patrick. Patrick, producer Patrick has uh, some. He creates the topics for the show, and we get to talk about this. So, tell us a little bit about your uh, your baseball journey, your background a little before. Obviously, you know you built all your 
your fame being a 2015 Toronto Blue Jay, um, you know, getting, I mean, you taught Jose Bautista how to bat flip. So, um, <laughs> but tell us about everything leading up to that point. Yeah. So uh, I was drafted by the Mets out of high school, which is um, an interesting thing as I'm now doing lessons with high school kids, having these conversations of like going to college and one kid's got a chance to get drafted, but doesn't throw hard enough. So going through my journey, and this was when the draft was different, right? With the draft and follow and different rules in the rule four draft. Um, I, I had an opportunity and I was very adamant to the scouts of like, I want to sign. I don't care how much money I want to get into professional baseball. Um, one thing in high school that I did well was hit. I always hit like hit homers, hit doubles. And that's what I, I always say got me put on the map. And I, again, hats off to my dad. Cause my dad freaking, I mean, it didn't matter if it was Thanksgiving or uh, just a random Tuesday, we were in the batting cage working, obviously the will that I wanted, but um, I, that was the craft that I really took serious. And then catching was just kind of an afterthought, but I was just a catcher. Right. But I, the one thing is I hit, I got drafted because I hit, um, got drafted in the 13th round for uh, pennies on the dollar, if you will, relatively speaking and uh, right into professional baseball and then went through the minor leagues, um, spent every, uh, spent one year at every level. And uh, one thing that stands out in my career is we talk about relationships and um, are we friends? Are we not friends? I always say there's two guys in my career, Bob Nadel and Tim Tuffle, who had my back, right? Two guys that beat their chest, beat on the table, said, this guy, just send him there and we'll figure it out. Because I was getting close after my second year in pro ball, I was getting close to getting released because I got to pro ball and I stopped hitting because guys were throwing 92, 93 back then. So I then end up, that was in Kingsport, Tennessee in rookie ball. And then that next spring training is when all that kind of started coming to fruition. Tim Tuffle was the manager. Bob Nato was the catching coordinator. And um, they sent me to Savannah and my career kind of, I, I started hitting again. I started playing every day. Uh, I ended up playing first base that year. And then the following year went, or the next year went back to catching. So um, I kind of bounced around position wise and then went from Savannah and low A to high A, then to double A in Binghamton and then uh, got to the big leagues in 09 and then was uh, kind of a, I'll call myself an up down guy after I got traded, but um, you were the dude in, in New York for a while, though, for a little bit. Eleven, I always say, like, dude, at the end of 2010, 11 and 12, like my glory days were about two and a half years, and then that was uh, the rest was history. It's uh, it. I remember like this. It's it's an interesting journey, and and honestly, um, I learned some stuff just now that I didn't know, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it, it's amazing how the game can do stuff to us. And, you know, you, you said, like you just said, you could hit. And I, I'm going to say it, Josh. I think you can hit. It's, you know, it's, it's weird. Like people get labeled this certain stuff, right, in the game. You know, Kevin Pillar is a glove man. He plays defense. Kevin Pillar could hit. Yeah. And – I think in a lot of ways, the game, the game makes you believe that you're supposed to be the thing that you are. They put you in the box. Right. And um, it, it's interesting because I, I remember watching you in New York before, obviously we became teammates and I, I really, I like the way you played baseball. And then, you know, it, it, 
it's amazing you kind of came to Toronto later on and and you did you come in you came after Dickie came over no I came in the Dickie trade okay. um it, it, but but you're right like you it, we talk about labels right that's like one of my biggest pet peeves in professional baseball especially as I was older and like kind of the 4A guy the older like the older veteran guy in AAA where you hear you hear things right like we're we're very observant like you're not going to put anything by us and you hear whether it be coaches or different people say this guy is x and it's like dude you have no idea the moment you get a label in the industry it's your label for life like dude i i was the everyday catcher for the new york mets for pretty much two and a half years caught it all the time and then i go to toronto and now i'm a knuckleball catcher right and i i think there's something in the psyche when people tell you you can't hit or like hey you're just the knuckleball catcher we don't care what you do offensively there's a sense of like okay, just make sure I catch knuckleballs good because that's my career right now versus like, no, I should have been a total player. And part of it is on me. As much as it is labels, part of it is on me to say, to to really reach up and prove people wrong. I mean, it wasn't for the lack of effort. It just, that's just how it, how it kind of, the the coin kind of flipped. Yeah. I'm going to let Bobby talk now. I feel like I shunned him. So. Yeah. I haven't said anything so far. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so let's get into that. Let's unpack that a little bit because a lot of people may not know that part of your story as a knuckleball catcher. So R.I. Dickey, I believe you won the you won the Cy Young in twelve. Yes. So at that point, your everyday catcher. What's the difference between catching a knuckleball guy versus I don't I don't know who was on the staff that year, but some of the other guys like dealing with velocity versus dealing with knuckleball. I mean, different equipment, different mindset. Like are you just setting up high and. Just try to catch a butterfly. Like, what is it like to, I mean, that's gotta be incredibly stressful. That that's exactly what it's like. I mean, you, the, the mechanics of the catching stance are completely different. The glove is completely different. The velocity and movement is completely different. And he throws pretty hard. He threw a hard knuckleball. Yeah. The year he won relative though. Right. Like we say hard, but like it was still, it was 83. So it was much harder. Stephen Wright had the the harder, shit i mean but like yeah anyway keep going no so no but it it was challenging the hardest transition that i had it wasn't necessarily like catch ra on friday night and then go catch um dylan g on saturday it was catch ra and then bobby parnell comes out of the bullpen in the seventh inning throwing a hundred like that's where you talk about being uncomfortable um i i actually i it's it's really interesting because I watched a video last night of you guys at K25 in Chicago and you talked about hitters being uncomfortable and I related it to myself. I was like, there's nothing more uncomfortable than 40,000 people or 30,000 people jamming down your throat. And there's a man on second because somebody just hit a leadoff double and some dudes coming in throwing 97 mile an hour sinkers. And I got to change everything on, on, on a switch, right? So here I am, side saddle. I don't actually. I don't want to give my secrets out to catch a knuckleball in case somebody wants to sign me. But here's the here here's the deal, right? Does that sign so, you as a coach or sign you as a player? Oh, Bobby, here you go. There you go. That's what I missed. Uh, no, or both. Uh, <laughs> You've tried that before. Player, player coach, yeah. No, but but my, the point that I'm trying to make is like you have to reacclimate your entire body, your entire sights, everything. So you have to get comfortable within. 
five or six pitches of warmups. And to me, that was the hardest part of my career. Um, the stress, Bobby, definitely there's a piece of the stress that comes with it, right? Like um, Doug Marabelli told me this um, back in 2011. He says, dude, understand you're going to lead the league in pass balls and just deal with it. You'll be fine. Once I came to grips with that, I was good. That's like that's like with uh, with hitting where you just have to admit to yourself, yeah, you know what, I'm gonna make outs, guys, and then all of a sudden you just feel better about it. And I, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking a lot. I've been letting that, that the stuff you said seep into my brain about you know the perception stuff and and how it relates to all this. And um, I remember saying to Bobby in 2014, going into the 2014 season, I said, Bobby, what's stopping me from being the best hitter on the Minnesota Twins? And he, he just kind of didn't have an answer as Joe Maurer. And I said, no, just perception. I said, perception is that I'm an indie ball guy. And uh, it's weird because you have to break perception so hard. You have to break it. And there's so many things. And, and it's this weird paradigm. And I, I'm, I'm relating it to you where uh, you were just better than the other guys at catching Dickey. And I didn't necessarily think that should have meant that you should be Dickey's catcher, but, and what's stopping you from being everybody else's catcher? You know what I mean? Now, granted in Toronto, we had a $20 million player in Russell Martin. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, I thought it was so fascinating to me because you played your whole life without being a knuckleball catcher. And then all of a sudden you get this label of you're a knuckleball catcher. And I think, predominantly and correct me if i'm wrong there has to be a willingness in your brain to try it and and to be vulnerable and expose yourself right because if not it's just never gonna work yeah so i'll tell you how it got started i'll never forget this 2010 spring training i get called into the office skipper says to me hey we just signed this guy a knuckleball guy he's gonna start in buffalo in the event that no, no catchers get hurt in camp you're gonna start in buffalo that was like that was before pitchers and catchers even reported. So I was like, okay, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. He says, I, I recommend we want you to play every day. I recommend you learn how to catch this guy. I said, all right, Skip, what do you, like, how do I do it? He's like, follow him around and play catch with him. Catch every knuckleball you can catch. And then I'll tee you up and you will catch all of his bullpens. You're just going to be the guy. And I did. And I made a fool of myself in front of Jeff Wilpon, uh, Sandy Alderson, Every Fred Wilpon, Sandy Koufax was there one day, and I'm just taking balls off my face mask left and right. I mean, Dan Wortham was a pitching coach and would just have a bucket of balls right <laughs> next to him, and it was just like, boom, in the chest, in the mask. But once you – it's I, I've always told Russ this. Russ, Russell Martin and I talked about it quite a bit. It's like Russ would have been really good at catching him because he had good hands, but, like, you have to have more than three bullpens. You got like, dude, this was built up over years. It was three, four years of work. Right. Like it wasn't like I just like hopped back there and JP the same way, right? JP, JP wanted to catch him and he spent a spring trying to learn how to catch him. And it was hard for JP because that's what it was. Like it's a challenge. You're not going to catch a thousand knuckleballs and think you're going to be good at it. Dude, you need 50,000, right? right? That's crazy. It's an interesting business situation because <clears throat> especially where they're going way more with platoons and everything where you're almost, it gets to a point where you're the specialist and you're given the, the everyday guy and uh, Russell with the blue Jays, you're giving him a day. And then RA is 
providing a lot of value on the mound. So it almost just makes sense. I'm, I was just trying to think of a comparison in other sports. Like who, what is another, what is another specialist? It's almost like a sidearm pitcher sort of. Um, it's, just yeah. a, it's, a, it's a really interesting dynamic where baseball every day, every day, every day. So it makes sense to give the everyday guy a break. And then if you got a pitcher that's getting, getting outs, it's in some ways it gave you job security, but also your security is tied to another guy at that point. So it's, yeah. it's just a really interesting dynamic. Which is every time I see RA, that's always kind of like the, the joke a little bit. He always makes a comment that he got me paid. I says, dude, I was catching every day. Think how much more money I would have made if I still was continuing to catch every day. If, but, yeah, if you just had been – the problem was you got too good at catching Dickie in that three-year stretch, literally. You just got too yeah. good at it because if not, you just end up with, you know, a regular – opportunity to go in and either compete for a starting job or as a backup catcher that you know who is just a catcher yeah so listen to that you guys will actually love this let me find this real quick so i got a text from a buddy of mine the other day it says i don't have the twitter but here here's what it reads it says most times a pitcher has struck out a batter in the last 69 seasons but the batter reached first base necro at 73 wake at 52 Hoyt Willem at 39, Charlie Huff at 38, Wilbur Wood at 32, Joe Necro at 30, Tom Candiotti at 24. Yes, of course, all the top seven are knuckleballers. I didn't see R.A.'s name on there. I'm not giving myself a point, hey! but I didn't see his name on there. I did not see his name on there. And if I hey. had Twitter out, I'd been trolling that thing, baby. I'm clapping in the mic. Patrick was <laughs> clapping in the background. Patrick's a catcher, by the way. He's a, he's a catcher at heart, so... He appreciates, I think, all of it. Um, Did, uh, I, I want to know is, what kind of fraternity you, you mentioned, uh, Doug Mirabelli earlier. Did you were you guys like it, it's such a small group of catchers that went through it? Yeah, uh, so, wasn't there the story that one time where like Mirabelli they had him in the, the cop car racing him to the stadium? Yeah, getting a friend by one time. All right, you guys okay. are gonna love this. You're, you're gonna I, I love wanna know, this. I want to know like the inner circle knuckleball <laughs> like catcher stories. Was this like the skulls? Like we had heart, we're in a yeah, secret like, society. Like November, yeah. You guys are sitting around drinking scotch, like trading war <laughs> stories. So you're going to love this. I, th this is, this is kind of twofold. This is great. That's a great question, Bobby. So we're in Houston. We're in Houston and I have 2011. I have a game from hell. Like Joe West is behind the plate, jamming down my throat. I'm still a young kid and I am just knocking balls down on home plate. Like not even catching them seven, eight, nine in a row. Joe calls timeout to go fake clean off home plate. And he looks at me and goes, JT, you going to catch any of these today? I had a few choice words for Joe, but I was embarrassed, right? It was like, this is what I'm good at. Why is this happening to me? And mind you, I've changed my stance 30 times over those five pitches or seven pitches. So after the game, I go in, I'm talking to RA. I says, can you connect me with Doug at all? He says, yeah, I'll connect you. We fly to Colorado. The next day, I spent an hour and a half talking to Doug Marabelli. And Doug gave me three pieces of advice. The two pieces of the mechanics that I needed. And then he gave me the advice of just trusting you're going to lead the league in pass balls. But we talked of like, Doug knew what I was going through. Josh, I've been there, been there, done it. Here's how I got out of it. You got to be consistent. And, and that was like, that was the one time that I talked to Doug. And I, I if I were to see him, I, I would buy him a bottle of scotch because I feel like that did change because it was going down a real slippery slope about that time. 
And um, after that, I ran in, we were in Boston playing when I was with the Blue Jays. I go to Capitol Grill, open seat at the bar. There's a guy next, there's a guy in a suit to my right. So I say, hey, excuse me, can I sit next to you? Yeah. You know, when you see somebody and you go, man, who is that guy? It was Jason Veritak. Me and Tech, we went through a couple bottles of wine and we shared stories of catching the knuckleball. Like Tech's like, yeah, I tried it. I was terrible. There was a game in the, in the, in the ALCS where he almost cost them the game. He threw multiple pass balls in the inning uh, to, to get the runner to third when Wakefield was pitching that like that series yeah. over right there. That's what, that's what I mean. So when you can sit down and hash, nobody else can talk about it other than a handful of us that have done it. So to have those opportunities to talk to those older guys, I think that was the coolest that, 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 that moment in my, that moment in my career is something I will always cherish. And I wish I had a microphone just because of like, some of the the wittiness and some of the stuff that comes along with it. I just love to share to even younger catchers. Uh, What's uh, what about like, uh, like wind conditions, humidity? Like, are you paying attention to the, the forecast? Yeah. Like checking flags to, cause isn't it when the wind's blowing into the ball, it starts dancing even more. Yeah. Like there's gotta be just days where it's, you can't even catch it. Yeah. There's days. I always said one of the hardest places to catch that thing was in Tampa in the trop. I don't know why. Um, RA had this theory and I'm, I'm probably going to get it wrong or get it backwards, but like he was real big. I mean, it would be a gorgeous summer night in Toronto and he'd like want the roof closed. Right. You, you remember that CC? Yeah. Like it was just really random, but I never, I paid attention to wind conditions. Other than that, that was really about it. The humidity when it was really humid, he would get too much sweat on the, on his hand. And it wasn't able to come off good. So humidity was bad. Arlington was a terrible place for him to pitch, even though I think he pitched okay in Arlington most of the time. But it was hard. It was hard to keep his hands dry. Um, we get the big outing from him in the playoffs in Texas. We were worried about that one. Four innings. Game four. Yeah, big out, but we won. So Yeah. And then DP four came in in the fifth. Four and two-thirds. Yeah, they, they couldn't let R.A. sneak out the win. They needed to get <laughs> Bryce to win. That's right. Uh, two like things Colorado? on the play, yeah. Huh? Colorado where it's thin, thin uh, is it different there? Yeah, is it, it is. More, it doesn't. Is it, it's the seams, right? Like the seams are just right. Is it, Colorado like the, was the current, bad for him. Are you familiar with the whole seam shifted wake stuff that they talk about now with like where two seamers would just take off like crazy? Um, no, I'm not. I, that, this is new to me. Pitching Bobby, Ninja. Do you know Bobby Pitching Ninja on Twitter? Stuff. Who's that? Pitching Ninja on Twitter. Yeah. I I'm not on Twitter, but I know I've heard of him. Yeah. So he, he just did a, a big thing on knuckleballs like this week or last week recently. Um, and it was, it was all about the knuckleball and different people throw knuckleball. It was, uh, he does his content's awesome. It's just really, really? Good. but I was, I was curious about like the physics of it, the actual, like what makes cause he, every kid ever has tried to throw a knuckleball to their buddies. They're, yes. uh, they're you know you get one that just goes like crazy maybe the kid misses it hits him in the chest and you're like all fired up but doing it every single pitch is unreal yeah every single pitch for hundreds and hundreds of pitches a day because he throws a 70 pitch bullpen before the game 70 pitch bullpen okay 60 to 70 he throws it a thousand times in the pen you're you're beat before you go in the game i was going to ask about like with a normal starter you're like trying to gauge what they've got that day. And then he's just in the bullpen. Just, I mean, do you, is he just aiming down the middle every time? Yeah. Yeah. He aims it down the middle, but I will tell you this in 2012, when he won the Cy Young, like 
he was getting so I don't know how it was happening, but he was like we were calling high knuckleballs. <laughs> like it was unbelievable. And he was getting the ball to do what he wanted to, it to do. And then after like that was like an anomaly, I think, more than anything. And then after that, it was just set up down the middle and just let it rip. I'm going to tell you what my favorite thing about R.A. Dickey was. It's a little different perspective. We had the best manicure kits <laughs> in baseball because of R.A. Dickey. Oh. They were awesome. Like, you could go in there and you could get anything. You could have, like, a fake nail. You could get, like, the, 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 the polish to, to strengthen your keratin or whatever it's called. So when I broke my finger – Frosty comes out of the uh, out of the the, the the bag of tricks, and he's got like this whole separate bag. It's just like manicure stuff, and I was like, "Whoa, this is awesome!" So before the game, as my nail, like we're trying to get like, they had to like paint my nail to like strengthen it, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is awesome!" I never just I never assumed I'd get a manicure in the big leagues, but yeah. that was a great thing about playing with R. Right. Guys spent more time on a glass file than than anybody. Yeah, unbelievable. He'd be yeah. in the dugout, like you'd see him. He's yeah. Did he only do one hand or do he do both? One hand, I think. I'm sure he touched up the left hand, but I mean, he would spend so much time on those two fingers. It was, it's incredible. It's his livelihood. You're exactly right. Like his livelihood would have been hurt if he had to face me more because I had pretty good numbers against RA. There it is. There it is. Bushes. Hey, I'm going to chalk one up right now. He's in the books. (laughs) Get him. Get him. With Minnesota? Mm hmm. He's in the books. No way I was catching. You were. No. No way. No, Aaron Sibia. Aaron Sibia. Who was in the big leagues in in uh in 14 for or no 13? JP. JP. I, I was sent down that year to start the season. Yeah. And then so 13, I I Bushes. It was my first pull side homer in the big leagues. Figures it was 84. This is town homer story? Um yeah, yeah. That's right. Let him in go. Four, in 14. You remember that doubleheader? You were there for that doubleheader when it was like coldest, you know, cold, coldest, coldest game ever started at Target Field. Coldest recorded doubleheader in the history of oh, Major League Baseball. It might have been that too. Yeah. Yeah. That, Never forget it. Oh, that was brutal. I remember Jose was playing center field. That was like, that was my welcome to Toronto moment because I had like about 32 hits in that series. So that's why I got claimed on waivers. The best thing I ever happened in my career was that series. So, that's uh, th- to get to, to continue on the catching RA stories. Like those days are the worst because, because you're catching, like the thing is, is you never really catch the ball clean. You're always catching balls like off, off the, this part of your hand, like you're getting killed. So when your hand is frozen, like you couldn't have enough hot hands in your glove. I mean, it was that cold. And anytime it was cold was, I dread it. I did dread those days. Because those were hard. I can I can only imagine. I want to talk about Josh Tolley beyond R.A. Dickey, though. And I, I, I'm curious. I want your take. The 2015 Blue Jays are fascinating to me, obviously, having been a part of them. And I, believe it or not, Josh, yes, I tell people all the time. People ask me, like, who are the most important people on that team? And I go to you all the time. Like, I talk about you more than you could imagine anybody talking about you. And it's probably because I like you. And I'm trying to, like, get the friend card to be, like, solidified and stuff like that. But um, talk to me about the 2015 Blue Jays and really 
and, and I don't want you to like, you don't have to pat yourself on the back or anything, but like, how do you feel like you, cause I think you just did such a good job of bringing that clubhouse together. Cause we had so many like really strong personalities and I, I'm going to put myself in the category too, because I think like I connected people, right? Like that's, yeah. that was like, like Latin guys to American guys, so on and so forth. Like talk about how, you know, what, like what your personality was, was able to do for that team was awesome to me. And like, talk to me about, about a little bit about that team and, and the way you saw it and, and, and how you played a role in it. Well, thanks. First and foremost, anybody that ever listens to this show that plays baseball, there's no better compliment in the game than when people are like, love the guy as a teammate, right? That's that at the end of the day, I, I was taught that from a very young age um, in pro ball by some really important people. They always tell me, JT, nobody's ever going to remember your career the day you went five for five in Colorado in May. Like now it's like, he's a good teammate or no, he's a horseshit teammate, right? Like that's pretty much two categories that we go into. Yeah. But I, so I do appreciate that, but the, the, that team dynamic, it was interesting because I, if you remember, right, I started the season in the minor leagues that year. Me, you and Gogo all did. Yeah. So it was strange. It was a strange feel when I got back there. Like I was in and out of there a couple of times with some injuries or taxi squad stuff. But when I got there and I was, I knew I was going to be there for the duration of the season, right. As all those trades were happening. Um, I, felt like I just, I had, I was there for two years. So I, I had some relationships there with some of the guys, but the biggest thing for me was we talked, we hung out and, and I, I do feel like we had some old school players and I hate to bring the old school, new school thing, but like, that's what we did. Well, is we, we all communicated as a group. And when Tulo says, Hey, JT, you got to go, Hey, go get on that guy for me, push the, some buttons. He's got to get going. You do that. Right. That's, that was kind of my role. Not that, not that it's, um, it's a three ring circus, but it, well, that's, that's what he wants. That's what you go do, especially as a backup catcher. And at the end of the day, those are the teams that, that win guys that have good camaraderie. And I think as a group, um, as I said, I appreciate you saying that, but I think as a whole group yourself, I mean, think of like even Eddie and Bautista, those guys coming out of their, I really feel like that was the year they really came out of their shell. And it mm -hmm. was like, Holy crap. This is awesome. Well, the, the three things that, that really stand out to me about your year, and, and, and then I'm going to get into that. There are three things that tell me everything I need to know about you. Number one was the game we walked off against Houston. Um, or no, sorry, the game Donaldson walked off against Chicago. You started that with your third hit of the day, right? And then Reyes almost decapitated you. You were, you were on first, and he hit a rocket, like, right over your head. You went to the ground and then uh, got back up. Just, like, ridiculous baseball IQ, like, to get out of the way and then still be athletic enough to go. So kudos to your athleticism Thanks. on that play. Yeah. That's so, now, th guys, that is the first time I have ever heard yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> then we were in Washington. You caught the front end of the doubleheader. And then Gibby was like, hey, Josh, I got to send you down. I'm sorry. <laughs> so you catch the front end of the doubleheader and you had to get sent down because Navi was getting activated for the second game. And I was like, dude, this guy just rolled out three knocks. You had three knocks in the game. Yeah. And then see you later. I thought I was staying. Hold that thought. Hold that thought real quick. Yeah. So the best part of that story was I knew I was getting sent down because yeah. the clubby, uh, Rosie put Navarro's locker name tag up. And I was like, damn it. I was like, I'm out of here. So I always joke with the guys. 
I always say like, well, I'm going to go sit in the shitter. So nobody sees me. And I'm just going to raise my feet and they can't find me and send me down. Right. Yeah. So it's 20 minutes after the game. It was a day night, day night, double yep. header. Split right? double header. That so, was a nap day. That was the game that got all the attention. Nationally. Yeah. So, so we're all just kind of hanging out and normally the bench coach comes to get you to bring you in the office. DeMarlo's I DeMarlo. He's I've walked by him a thousand times and he kind of smirks at me and all of this. Well, about an hour before the game, I was getting ready to go shower and DeMarlo says, JT Skipper needs to see you. I said, Oh God, I just hurt my hamstring. I go to the training room. I said, oh, I can't believe I just got hurt. And he says, get your ass in Gibby's office right now. But that was the joke about, uh, we used to joke. I used to joke with D because he always was the one to send me down. And, and, and here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. This is when I knew how important you were to that team. And, I, and I'm going to get into why at the end of the year, I don't remember what the move was, but you were active like most of August. <laughs> I know and where you're going. We, we, we had to option you, but we optioned you to a ball. No, because ball. Se- Bluefield, West yeah, Virginia. Their season ended like six days earlier than the triple A season. So by optioning you to a ball, which like option to a ball, you just stayed in Toronto. We did you, you know, you went for a night, you had to go there, you had to fly and then fly back the next day. So you could come back sooner. It was incredible. It was fascinating. Yeah. So I get called in. Gibby, Gibby says, JT, you want good news or bad news? (laughs) I said, "Ah, give me the good news. He says, you're catching September 3rd here. This is the end of August, right? Yeah, yeah. I said, oh, fuck, all right. How bad can the bad news be, right? It's only like five days from now. He goes, we're going to option you to Bluefield, West Virginia. <laughs> I said, huh? He goes, and then and then he Gibby looks at Alex, and Alex says, he says, Alex, just tell him what's going on. And then Alex goes, Andrew, tell him what's going on. So they, they gave me the whole spiel, right, of why, why the option works like this. I said, okay, so it's a paper move. I just sit in my apartment. He says, no, we need you to go because we need like proof that you got option down there. So I flew down there, hit batting practice with the boys, bought him a nice Outback spread. <laughs> and it was great. It was fun. <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I knew how pivotal a part of that team you well, were. Like, Me and Scotty Weberg, baby. Yeah. Um, you, you got out and then you came back and you told the story about behind spread. And I was like, Dude, this is incredible. He just got optioned to A ball. The yeah. Bluefield, West Virginia, hit BP. Like, I was so show. I went down there, hit BP, bought a spread. Best part was they said, don't bring your glove or bat. They said, we just need you really to stretch with the team and all that. Well, I was like, well, if I'm going down, I'm going to hit. But yeah. I, I I just had my carry on, so I didn't bring my glove or my bat. So I'm just picking up any bat, and I'm just hitting with it. Oh, the kids loved it. I used I- somebody else, the skipper shoes, I think. I would have I would have brought a, a one ear flap. It would have been the only time I hit BP with a helmet on, just to let everybody know I was a one ear flap guy. <laughs> no, that oh, was great. That was so funny, and, yeah. and I want to just to expand on all this. Like the thing about your personality that that is awesome is like you have this incredible. You have feel for the moment, right? You just feel when things are getting too tense or when they're getting you know hot, and and you always had this incredible ability. And I think in that in that clubhouse, you mentioned. You know, you mentioned bats. There were so many, like, alphas, right? We yeah. had the MVP in Donaldson, and he's crazy. We all know that. Uh, you know, whatever. In, in the most non-get-canceled kind of way ever. Um, he was just so on all the time, right? And then bats is obviously an alpha guy who super cerebral, very smart. And those personalities clash at times, right? Because, 
you know, it was Hosey's team, and now it's it's kind of Josh as the MVP. He's entrenching himself. We had that one night on the bus that we don't really need to get into, but now that I've teased it, it was like, this is my team, blah, blah, blah. And, and Hosey's like, how about you pump the brakes a little bit, the guys that have been here for a little while, you know? And uh, you always diffuse those moments. but And the thing that, 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 that I always say is, like, you could just – you could bring attention to yourself in the most non egotistical kind of way. Like you could make fun of yourself. Right. And, and, and I think that was always such a good icebreaker. And I think I, I give Burl some credit for that where he nece- didn't necessarily like make fun of himself per se, but he just always had this, this very calming presence. So I think the two of you guys stand out to me in terms of being able to really just balance that team. And, and it, it was pretty incredible. I don't know if you felt it too. Yeah. Well, it's important to make fun of yourself in this game. Like that's, that's some of the best advice I could ever give to anybody. And I, I, when I do catching lessons and stuff that those are the conversations that we have is you have to be able to make fun of yourself in this game because yes, there's much more, there's, there's many more life lessons to that, whether it's you just, that's your way to kind of just release or it's you to change the subject. These guys do as, as a group, Guys, like you need that. You need somebody to do that when when you got a, a lot of big personalities in a room. And I tell you, I, I think about it every day to go back to a team. I if I could organize it, I would love to get that team back together and just go on an all on a golf trip. We were that close. Yeah. And I sure. think and if we invite all, all the people that have ever played on those those that team in fifteen. I'll bet you 80% show up. That's how close we were. Yeah. You know what's funny is Latroy said this a couple weeks ago on the show. He uh he said we were so dysfunctionally functional. Yeah. And it was a it was such a good way to put it because we had just guys from different walks of life that really all kind of like were coming into their own in their own way in Toronto. I feel like it was the first time a lot of them were just allowed to be their own person. That's how I felt anyway. Cause in Minnesota, I felt like I was I had to almost be somebody else. And my favorite thing, and this is when I knew you and I were going to be friends. I don't know if you remember this. You have to remember this because you wore me out. You wore my ass out for like a good week at spring training. I don't know if you remember where I'm going. Bobby, this is a true story. So you came to spring with me that year early. And you remember the drive from uh, from Innisbrook to the field, yep. right? To yep. set, like yep. we would go up 19 or whatever and then take a right into Dunedin. And the weirdest shit about that drive was there was a Starbucks on the left side of the road. There was a Dunkin' Donuts on the left side of the road. And I have this tendency to not like waking up early in the morning. But I was like, all right, I'm, I'm veteran enough that I don't have to be the first guy that shows up. And nobody really gave a shit with the Blue Jays what time you showed up. It was just get there, right? And it was the first time I felt comfortable enough to do that. But I was like, man, it's going to be a real pain in the ass if I got to get to the left side of the road to go get Bucky's or, 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 or Dunkin's. So I rolled in with a Dunkin' Donuts ice, uh, McDonald's iced coffee on like day two. <laughs> And here I come in the clubhouse and within the first like six minutes I'm in there, JT turns around, he looks at me, he goes, hey, Cece, it's the show. What the hell are you doing, McDonald's iced coffee? What do you think this is, the bushes? This ain't indie ball no more, dog. We drink Starbucks in here. And I'm like, bro, it's, you know, and I'm trying to explain the, the right side of the road thing. You're like, I don't give a shit. It's the big leagues, kid. Yeah, we used to. <laughs> We used to wear CC out because Boston, the Dunkin' Donuts thing, it first started at McDonald's, then he upgraded to Dunkin' Donuts. And then it was like, can we get you on the Starbucks train with the boys? But that's Bubby. That's what I used to do, right? I would be the guy that was there at 4.30 in the morning 
get my workout in and then go get 18 cups of coffee and breakfast and sit there for two hours at the door and just blow everybody up that would walk in, whether how they dressed, like it, it became comedy yeah, hour. It was such an important part of, I think, establishing how comfortable everybody could be. I, my, my thing that stands out about that clubhouse and spring training, and this is incredible. The stuff that you remember that is just so weird to everybody. Um, Jose Reyes was like, we had like the line, the, 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 the near wall was really all the guys like position players that were either on the team or, or veteran players. Right. So that first wall was, was all the guys that had uh, numbers under 30. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And then I think Russell and, and Deonor were, were the only ones that were kind of on the other side. You might've been on the other side because catchers, you needed the bigger lockers or whatever, but like Reyes being number seven was one of the first lockers and he had the messiest locker i've ever seen like i've never seen a stack of under armor shoes that was more scattered and more like how is this a big league locker right and kevin malloy comes up to me one day and you know kev for all you know for all i'm make fun of kevin a little bit he's just a little bit like high strung really good dude i talked to kevin a lot during that year but kevin had his like quirks right and he would always say to me he goes because I was probably the only one that would listen to him at that point. He comes up to me, he goes, CC, this fucking guy every day. Jesus Christ. He goes, fuck, Jesus, fuck, what the fuck? He goes, every day, watch this. You pay attention to this. This is on like day three at camp. He goes, I put the laundry bins as close to his locker as possible. <laughs> yeah. And this guy will get done showering and he'll take his towel off and he'll just drop it on the ground and he won't pick it up. <laughs> and so I go up to Reyes one day and I go, Oh yeah, la velasa. I'm you know speaking Spanish too. I'm like, I'm like, hey, put your towel in the bin. And this one I started knowing I could feel comfortable. I could talk to Jose Reyes making 20 million bucks about putting his towel in the bin. I said, why you put it on the ground? He goes, it's okay, puppy. It's okay. And I go, what do you mean it's okay? He's like, no, no, no. It's okay. They get it. They they get paid. You know. <laughs> and I go, I go, well, yeah, yeah. Like, and I. I go pick up his I go pick up his towel and put it. In. He's like, no, puppy, it's okay. I tip good. I tip good at the end of spring training. It's okay. They pick up my towel. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, just because you tip good doesn't mean you can't put your fucking towel in yeah. the, the bin, you scumbag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I don't know if I ever told you this one just to, to follow up on Reyes. Me and Tra Devin Travis made the team out of camp. Devin's I'm still close with. Super great kid. Just one of the best kids yeah. ever. And him and I, are, we were in Oakland. I don't think you're on this trip. Reyes walks in. He's got these white shoes with like a gold. It's like a locket, right? It's like literally it looks like solid gold. It's so shiny. It like it just brings your eyes right to it. And I turned to Travis in the clubhouse. I go, hey, Dev. I go, what do you think those shoes cost? He's like, I don't know, bro, but I can't afford them. So I turned to Reyes. I go, hey, Hosey. I go, how much those shoes cost? He's like, I was like, those thousand bucks? He's like, no, Bobby, way more than a thousand. And I'm like, okay. So I turned to Dev and I'm like, dude, is there ever a scenario where you could wear a thousand dollar shoes? Like they're just sneakers, right? With like a gold locket on them. And he's like, dude, bro, I don't know if I could ever get there. And I said, you know what? I bet he don't even have just one pair. He probably got like 10. And he goes, no, no, Poppy, I know how 10. I have way more than 10. <laughs> like, yeah. like you get way more than 10 pairs of shoes. Yeah. That's why yeah. I realized I was broke, even though I. Yeah. I the, no, those that guy lived the life. Him and Milk used to make fun of my shoes quite a bit um, to the point where they cut them. They cut the laces out of them. 
So I had a, I had a whole trip. I didn't have shoes because the tongue would just flip out of them. They were nice dress shoes, but they, they didn't have enough flow, Poppy. I said, okay, <laughs> then buy me some shoes that have flow then. I want to see what your flow looks like. Yeah, you, those on, fuckers need to On my stuff. fat body. This will look good, I'm sure. <laughs> you need to tell those rich guys to buy yeah, us some. That's what that you way do. we can get up with the up with the times and stuff. That's right. Oh. That's right. Big league fashion is a big deal. Just being around, you know, under under the stadium and everything, you got the show bags, you got the show shoes. It was always interesting seeing the different guys with different styles. Like some guys just straight chilling with like t-shirts, like so they went thrifting and found some cool older yeah. shirt and then some guys are just straight fashion show my favorite my favorite are the cowboys like the guys from texas cowboy boots cowboy hats the button the pearl button-up shirts they, they uh el aviv um sammy the lady that worked at el aviv at the time would always come around and this is when suits were getting transitioned out and her that was the play was like if you had a pearl snap down shirt you were the guy so I was like, uh, Sammy, can I have two of those? He's like, Josh, I don't know if they look good on you. <laughs> I, said, I appreciate the honesty, but you're right, Bobby. Like, I felt overmatched sometimes. Like, the Latin guys had it down. They had the flow. Like, just some Midwest, like, random dude. Like, I didn't have it. I mean, my shoes were dirty all the time. Like, no scrubbing bubbles for me. <laughs> it's just what I did. Yeah. We were – uh we were, we were still in the bushes compared to those other guys. Yeah, yeah. And that was okay. the, the, the Stro shows coming out party, really. Yeah. You know, you came to Wolverine. KP started dressing better that year. Yeah. And I was like, man, I'm just trying to wear some J's and, you know. No, like, I mean, I had Nike. I still had the Air Force Ones maybe or something, like the old ones. Like, no that no flow. Yeah. You speak it. Speaking of the – you were talking about transitioning away from suits. Like, early in the year that year, we were, like, dress pants the whole, the whole yeah. year. And then at one point in like June, he puts jeans for the plane on the on the whiteboard, and everybody's like, oh, "Thank God!" And then that that never came down. We just it was, but yeah. it got. I just remember one point. At one point, it got so egregious where, like, I think we had already traded for Price, and everybody was wearing like, I mean, it was borderline sweatpants on the plane. Yeah, holes then, in the jeans. Yeah, and, and then Gibby came in the next day. He's like, "Hey, blah, blah, blah. Because you know, Gibby couldn't. He was like the guy from Waterboy. I describe him. He's it's Kyoto, blah, blah. and he's like, "Hey, we gotta try a little harder with the with the dress on the plane. Just, you know, make sure you got a button up." Because like guys were going getting away from collared shirts and yeah. more. Tell me, I mean, Gibby was one of my favorite guys to play for. I mean, as I didn't play for him a whole lot, meaning like I wasn't on the field, but I was in the clubhouse. But he was one of my favorites as far as like. He commanded. He commanded the group in a different way. He had so much feel, man. You had you the, the biggest thing, and this is what I always say about like um, the importance of having like a good skipper is you don't know, you almost don't know they're there until they need to be there, and then it's like everything is done silently. It, it's just different when you have a guy like that. That I I I as much as we joke about him and of his of his uh, mumbling and all of that and country accent i have to tell you like as much as we were our group because we were right like we we were the product we were why we ticked i i i gotta give it to him that whole staff i mean d the marlo um pete I, the, the leap the list goes on i mean it was it was it was a good group from the guys in the room to the coaching staff to the the trainers i mean uh, 
Well, we could sit here for five hours and hash this out, but it was it's awesome. They just they knew when to pull on the ring. Yeah, right? it's awesome. Like, yeah. like when it when the when the lasso was just getting a little wide, they just knew. I get goosebumps. I get goosebumps. Let's create our own like adult league team and just go win championships. Why not? I just that's my only regret is that team got broken up a little. Bobby, bit you can quick. still play. Bobby, you can still play. No, <laughs> no, my I. God, I it. literally I fell off the couch the other day and tore my rotator cuff. <laughs> I cannot draw. It was. Oh, that's why you true, couldn't take your jacket off. Did I tell the story of pickle? I don't know if I did. Oh, tell it again. Uh, there was a there was a filter that I saw, that was like it turn your face into an old man, like <laughs> like a real like gray wrinkles all that stuff. So I was like, oh, this would be really funny. I'll do a video doing like old school, new school, like oh the launch angle, blah blah blah. So I took my phone. Out. I know when like you got like a little streak on your camera, so the lights like it like creates this big streak. So I was on my couch. I was like, oh, I tried to like move over and I like just slipped off the ottoman of my couch. I put my arm down to catch myself. It just like a knife just straight across my sh- my shoulder. <laughs> I can't throw, I can't, I can't throw a, tw- a tennis ball 30 feet right now. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, so you're really hurt. Yeah. No, I can't throw. Yeah. And he'll, he'll just stay on the shelf too. Like he won't, he won't go get it checked out. He, the guy tore his Achilles tendon yeah. to get three years to <laughs> get picked. He'll stay on the shelf. He'll yeah. stay on the shelf. No, I'll get it checked out when, uh, I don't know. Probably never. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby, you don't guy. give hey, you don't get big league service time. You know that, well, right? I'm not trying to throw a BP anymore either. So it's okay. <laughs> That's probably better. That's how you get out of it. Yeah. You fall off the couch. My dog, I get to chuck it. So I just got to flick the wrist. So I'm fine. I'll figure I love out BP with that when my kids start playing softball. But I love no, it. No, I, I literally can't throw. So no, I, I'm out. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll be the hitting coach. Yeah. You'd be a good skipper too, Bobby. For that group. <laughs> I probably wouldn't work out. Oh, okay. All guess. right. All right. Hitting coach, it is. Yeah. You're hired. Hey, listen, we can stay on forever. But I know you got to go. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll cut it short. I have to talk about Tommy this week because it's over and I'm so sad. But tell me about the NFL this week. Did you watch any games? I watched every game. I am. I have to tell you guys, I'm not much of the fan that like jumps around and screams at the TV. But I have to tell you, watching the Bills Chiefs game the other night, I've never jumped out of my chair. So that, speaking of athleticism, if that was caught on camera, that was athletic. Dude, um, is it come back in the cards for you? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, um, I did. I, I thought these football games were, were just so you know, we're all going to be disappointed this week. Yeah, for sure. We're going to be disappointed because you can't play three games. Three dogs win the first three games, and then and then the dogs win in the fourth game with 13 seconds, and they lose. Yeah. Like, how does that happen? All within three points. Let me tell you the value of the kicker. The value of the kicker. I I mean, we make fun of kickers and punters, right? I think we really saw how important it is to find a good kicker. Tampa Bay is still playing in overtime right now. If Suckup hits the field goal in the first half, and it just goes to show you how how important like yeah. the moment is. And you're like we were talking about before. I think a kicker is a lot like a great kicker is like you know he's great when you don't notice that he's there, right? Because yep. the only way you're going to notice him is if he misses, right? Th- those games were were fascinating. I mean, I'm excited about Joe Burrow. So sad about dude, my guy Tommy, bro. Let's talk about this for a second. Just the fact that Tommy Brady comes back and and puts the team in a position to win again, dude. It's incredible. And that that game deserved overtime, my guy, dude. We should have got some Duncan's on us for <laughs> overtime and got to watch a little overtime football. But here comes Maddie Stafford, and the defense just like blacked out and shit, and like it was brutal, dude. I'm so sad. I went through so many emotional swings in the Buccaneers game because 
it felt like the whole second half was drunk, like just drunk. It was a drunk football game. And yeah. that's the only thing I cared about. But Mahomes, kudos to Mahomes. Josh Allen played awesome. Yeah. Joe I I think I I mean I I think Kansas City runs with this now. Like you have that kind of momentum going in. I mean, we know, right? The postseason is all about momentum. That's what it is. When you get the momentum swing on your side, and I think that solidified it for Kansas City. Yeah. Um, I, I hate to say it, but I think I think the Bengals might get yeah destroyed. They're but outgunned. I've been wrong. I've been wrong a few times this week. <laughs> They're outgunned. I think Burrow, Burrow, every week Burrow's playing with more and more confidence. Like I just don't think they have the horses to run the race. Rams 49ers. The Rams played the best half of football they've played all year in the first half. And then they played the worst half of football they played all yeah. year in the second half. So they've been that kind of like that Jekyll and Hyde. And I think they just get like a little emotional. I, I have to say the Rams, just because that that front four is stupid, but the Niners have a great front four too. I just think Stafford's a little bit more creative than Garoppolo. Like Garoppolo just it's like a soldier, right? Like he just goes up the line and calls a play that that Yeah. There's another old Patriot, right? Yeah. Yeah. It it I mean, I'm I don't know, man. I I, I was wrong the whole weekend, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I was wrong the whole weekend. I'm just, actually. I'm just sad. I got really this was the first time in my life that I it happened in like midweek where I started really thinking like these are going to be the last times I get to watch Tom Brady play football. Like I, it's getting, it, it might not be the end, but it's really close to the end. Yeah. Um, and I'm sad about it. Cause I, I don't think I want to watch anymore. Like I barely watched the chiefs bills game. I couldn't cause I was just so sad that Tommy. Uh, lost. I don't get that. I mean, guys, Bobby, you get, that upset? That you get that upset. You get that upset. You get that upset. I was, I was driving. So I didn't, I wasn't really watching okay. it. I had, the YouTube TV going in the car. Yeah, so I don't, I, I don't get too upset with these. My things. affinity for Tom Brady is just different, guys. I'm sorry. I just feel like I feel like Tom Brady's my best friend. He just doesn't know it yet. So I hope he listens. And you think your your fandom of Brady is bigger than your fandom of football in general? Yes, it's not even close. I realized that it's the day he left. I was like, now nah, I'm never gonna watch the Patriots again. I've watched like two Patriots games the whole year. Really? Yeah. Wow. I watched yeah. I mean, I jump, I jump teams, whatever community I live in. If all my buddies are Bills fans, I'm just a Bills fan, right? Like, that's where I'm at. That's, I feel like that's how I'm a guy. Just, yeah, just good club. That's what I do. Just I come to my buddy's house. I got the Bills hat on. Yeah, ready to go. You got all 30 or 32 <laughs> lined up. I feel like I was so, I thought I was a Patriots fan and then I realized I wasn't. And because in sports generally, like, you know, we, we, we get this in baseball because we played for teams. So it's like, I, I'm not going to cheer for anybody in the playoffs. I don't yeah. care. Like you're root for your buddies and guys that you like. And, um, but yeah, with Tommy, it's just different, man. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. Okay. Know. Well, we shall see. I, I, I I'm going to take the Rams chiefs. Should be a good one. I, I mean, hopefully I, I want the Rams to just play the rest two weeks of football and see what happens. Cause I think they're, I thought they were pretty good all year. Um, they just, they laid a couple eggs and that's what you can't do in the NFL, you know? Yeah. So it'll be interesting. There was a, a really good quote that I it might be good to end on there. I think it was like ESPN or something. The guy said, your strengths are what get you to the postseason. Your weaknesses are what get you eliminated. Yep. That's like, nope. yeah, that's, that's the, really good. dude, that nailed it. Like a 100, that is it in a nutshell. There's no question. You get exposed. Dude, it's quick. You're in and out. You can't you you gotta be clicking on all cylinders. 
and you can't make the, the the teams, both teams, Tampa and the Rams made too many mistakes and you saw it happen and somebody had to win. But if you do that against somebody else, I don't think, I don't think that game, either one of those games get played against the other teams and, and you're going to find a way to win because every round it gets more and more. Hey, I, I saw a funny meme and y'all might've seen it. It said, if the uh, chiefs and bills game continued to go with just like the regular overtime thing, yeah. It would have been 19 overtimes. The score would have been like 142 to 139. Yeah. Dude, I laughed so damn hard at that. I thought it was great. Dude, you know what my favorite part of that whole thing was? Tyreek Hill. You want to talk about Tyreek Hill being the fastest dude on the planet? Fastest dude he, on the planet. He had Milano. Milano, who's one of the faster linebackers in the NFL, was like, like probably three yards in front of him, but with an angle. And Tyreek Hill ran by him and put the peace sign up. Like he was three feet behind him and he was like, see ya. Like you think about how fast you are. If you're like running and you're like, nah, let me just break stride. And I'm going to be like, see you later. Like that was an incredible, I, and I knew it was going to happen too, as I'm watching it. Cause yeah. I've seen the guy do it. He caught two years ago against the Patriots or three years ago against the Patriots at new England when they beat him in the regular season, he caught a ball down the middle. And then just, he was like five steps behind the DBs at a dead stop. And then like just ran by him. Can you imagine being that fast, Josh? No, I can't. I truly cannot imagine being that fast. I made I made a reference to that when I'm watching this guy just outrun the camera. I was like, they can't even keep the camera on this guy. He's running so fast. If we put my speed and your speed together, you think we catch him? <laughs> no, no shot, CC. <laughs> if we if you and I did a relay and we got to start like a full section, if we did the 200 right and he did the 400, is he winning? CC, I could I could hit a line drive to center field and he would outrun my ball. <laughs> now that's not saying a whole lot, but, it, but he would. JT money. All Thank right. you for your time, bro. You're Guys, the best. This, this was awesome. I, I live for this. This is like, uh, for anybody that doesn't know, this is like CC and I've, this is our phone calls about yeah. uh, twice a week yeah. um, before we ever talk about anything. It's like, 50 minutes of just BS and, and I love it. I had, I had a great time. You guys have an awesome show. So uh hope, hope to well, do it again. One time. Speaking of that, we can promo your show. We can promo your show. You got a show. So yeah, I got a, yeah well, uh, co-hosting a show here with let's go Ricky Rowe. Yeah. Um, as, as our guy says, where you go click on the download and yeah, I, I don't know. All yeah. That. Like, that does subscribe, that yeah. Download. Yeah, yeah. All those things do all yeah, those things. Like button, smash yeah. It. It, yeah. Smash. It's called let's, let's go Ricky Rowe. So, uh, Actually switching over to do that one right now. Well, dude, you look pro in your studio. So all right. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I, I loved it. So good. So good to see everybody. We we need a part two coming up soon. So uh, just tell me when. You, bro. Talk Coming. to you soon, buddy. Thank see you, you guys. Thanks. Thanks for coming. See you. Okay. Pickle out. <laughs>